to Cracking the Reality Code, a podcast exploring consciousness, ancient wisdom, healing, plant medicine, and new science. Our website is crackingtherealitycode.com, where you'll find free articles and blogs on all our topics. Hello, welcome to Cracking the Reality Code. I'm Johanna Sand, and I'm here today with two collaborators, Magdalena Harishoff and Sue Terry. So we're uh, convening here. Those ladies are in Ecuador. I'm currently in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So um, we've got, I think, some interesting delving to do. So I'm going to turn it over to Magdalena, and she is going to share a little bit about our focus today. Okay. Well, again, my name is Magdalena Harasov, and I've been on the podcast several times, and I'm a poet and writer and a dabbler of spirituality. And um, one of the things we decided to talk about today is about koans and Koans have always fascinated me because in some ways they're so ungraspable and um, and actually almost the essence of a koan is that that it isn't something that you can immediately go, aha, that's what it's trying to tell me. Now I can move forward. It isn't anything like that. So it's more like a contemplation. And I've been following uh, Joan Sutherland for a long time. She is a uh, Zen Buddhist Roshi, and she has explored koans for many, many years. And she actually studied Chinese and Japanese in order to be able to get a better grasp of koans. And so uh, she's written some uh, several books and she started um, an organization called The Open Source to share more about koans from the Blue Cliff Records and other uh, important um, koan Bibles, so to speak. So recently she uh, wrote a new book and it's called Through forests of every color awakening with koans i'll i'll say that again through forests of every color awakening with koans so i saw a video with her being interviewed and it really got me my juices flowing so i ended up buying the book and uh, because I, I, I would like to explore more about koans. Now, then the, the interesting thing about Joan is, and I, I don't know if both of you ended up looking at that interview, but she, she has a way about her that pulls you in and uh, makes you just want to follow everything she's saying. She's not authoritarian and, and not in any way egotistical. She's very feminine in her approach, which is interesting because koans have been generally, uh, the, the history is very patriarchal. And it's one of her, her um, interests is to take it away from there and bring it back more to ordinary life and to our modern life. 
So her book is all about koans, and I recommend people read it. And um, because it's very insightful, and even though uh, koans are not are not a specific answer, it's it's a way of contemplating issues that come up in your life. And we were briefly talking about right now what we're personally going through and having to balance stress, intensity, and love, and moving forward in our lives. And how do we balance all that? And uh, Joan Sutherland talks about, you know, cons are not just for enlightenment. They are also for endarkment. And she kind of brings this concept back to the koans to get people to realize that the, the idea is to weigh or, or to contemplate on what the message might be and to stay with it. And rather than saying, well, give me an answer to that or why is it, it's like, what is it? What is this koan telling me? And um, I think I actually would like to start with her first koan in her book, in our introduction. And first, I want to reflect a little bit how I reacted to it and then look at her explanation. So this is a koan that's attributed to Dangshan, a Chinese master or, or poet. Anyway, it says, it starts, for whom do you bathe and make yourself beautiful? The voice of the cuckoo is calling you home. Hundreds of flowers fall, but her cry never ends. Still clear, even in the wildest mountains. I'm going to read it again. For whom do you bathe and make yourself beautiful? The voice of the cuckoo is calling you home. Hundreds of flowers fall, but her cry never ends. Still clear, even in the wildest mountains. So when I first read that, I, th I kind of got stuck with that first line. For whom do you bathe and make yourself beautiful? Well, as with my Buddhist thinking, I'm going, well, we don't need to bathe and make our self-beautiful for anyone because we already are and we are we we are already beautiful but um and then when the it goes on with the voice of the cuckoo is calling you home it kind of gave me a little bit more information that maybe this bathing and making yourself beautiful has something to do about calling you home and hundreds of flowers fall but her cry never ends still clear, even in the wildest mountains. So the cuckoo's always calling us home. The flowers are always calling us home. So I want to just give a little description of what Joan was saying, because that gave me a little bit more insight. She says the epigraph above called Honoring is from a longer Chinese poem made of koans about the journey home and then home itself. Honoring seems like a good place to begin. You enter koans through the door of your own life, opening into the world around you. First honored in your yearning, and that's really important, the yearning, the preparation made on faith that there is something that will receive you if you make yourself ready, bathe it, attended to, 
washed free of complications and then aspiring to the deepest kind of beauty, receptive, brave, dedicated, open-hearted. Already, you've begun to look like the thing you're looking for. And I think I would like to end it with that because that, you know, was very important to me in the process of, of what we're going through selling our house is that you had to keep moving forward and make beautiful and be ready and be receptive in order for something to come in. I will leave it at that for the moment that you comment. I think we should uh, let people know what a koan is. There might be people that don't know what one is. Like we should give a definition or something. I'm not sure I can give a definition because uh, she, she even takes, it's, 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 it's a, 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 Word, words together that make you reflect like one hand clapping is a koan and and you know that what's the sound of one hand clapping now right that doesn't make sense to our our logical mind and it's trying a koan is 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 a sentence maybe not even a sentence or an idea that makes you sit back and think what is this trying to say to me? This doesn't make sense. How can one hand clapping make a sound, you know, or, or even the one I just read, you know, so easy to interpret in so many different ways. And the idea is that the koan will always bring you back to yourself about that part of you that you need to reflect on. So well, I don't also- think that you can give a, a, a concrete example of what, or, or definition of a koan. Go but, tra- but traditionally they were used by Zen masters right. to, to say, they would say them to their students to provoke, um, you know, part of the process of enlightenment. So right. people should understand like, what is the historical context okay. of a koan? Go ahead. <laughs> uh, well, and that, that's, that's basically it, right? So it's an old, tradition but what what i was thinking when you when you ladies said that you wanted to uh do a program on the on koans and then what occurred to me is that the idea of a of a koan something that doesn't make sense to the logical mind but but has a meaning to other parts of self that aren't on the conscious level maybe they're on the subconscious or unconscious level right um, archetypal levels, right? Collective unconscious levels. So th- this um, idea is expressed in other ways as well. And the first person that I thought of uh, was Yogi Berra, <laughs> who, and what a perfect first name he has for what we're talking about, right? So Yogi Berra was the baseball coach who was famous for uh saying things that didn't make sense but that were funny and people and made people stop and think so like some of his famous ones were uh if you see a fork in the road take it <laughs> right so you're like oh yeah yeah okay i'll take what <laughs> or and there were some you know there were a lot what you we have the expression it ain't over till it's over that was yogi Berra. it ain't over till it's over well, duh, it ain't over till it's over. But when you think about it, it ain't over till it's over. What's the real meaning, yeah. you know, behind that? That, that 
when you say it ain't over till it's over to somebody, that gives them inspiration to keep going. Right. Right. Because they realize it ain't over yet. Uh, so many, so many things. He said, always go to other people's funerals. Otherwise, they won't come to yours. <laughs> you know, see, it's like all these things make us think or the stories of, of uh, Mullah <laughs> Nasruddin you know, who was the Sufi, uh, the Sufi philosopher, you know, a lot of his stories were kind of couched in this same language that made you uh, think twice, made, made you do a double take, made something even bypass your conscious mind, which is always trying to figure things out, right? And which is often the cause of not being able to figure things out and going directly to uh, other parts of mind and other parts of self that are able to uh, realize what the true meaning is. And I also thought of, of all the wonderful work that Carl Jung did on dreams because right. dreams, I think, operate in the same way as or similar way as koans do uh, every it doesn't make sense things happen in the dream that don't make sense but symbolically they make sense and so it's appealing to another part of part of self that can understand something and i wanted to read this one thing that that carl jung said this is from from man and his symbols and he says um uh, in our civilized life, we have stripped so many ideas of their emotional energy, we do not really respond to them anymore. We use such ideas in our speech, and we show a conventional reaction when others use them, but they do not make a very deep impression on us. Something more is needed to bring certain things home to us effectively enough to make us change our attitude and our behavior. This is what dream language does. Its symbolism has so much psychic energy that we are forced to pay attention to it. And I think this is also a good description of the koan. I, right. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I, when I uh, listened to, there, there was a video that, that Magdalena shared with us, of Joan Sunderland being interviewed. And my experience of koans, the image of it, I, I wasn't a Zen student might come from more the Advaita tradition, which has a lot of similarities, but the cone, the image of cones have been within my psyche, you know, the same thing you're speaking about. It's to shift us, to get us out of a conceptual pattern that the mind operates in. And it was very interesting to see the scope. And what I, I did hear from Joan on the interview was, which the, the, the kind of idea I've had of it, which is to shock you, shock you into enlightenment, creates that, that wham, you know, where you just get it. And she really emphasized, yes, that's part of it, but mainly the cone school she spoke of, of 700 some cones were really more, it was after enlightenment. And again, how can we define enlightenment? But they were using it rather in a broad stroke, meaning that sense of the real uh, taste of the expansion 
when we go to the really big view, the self falls away more. And that is a profound seeing. And I'm sure present company, we have all had some sort of recognition of that. Yet a lot of these cones were were to bring the big view into life, bring that big view. And I've, I've been finding in the, you know, the commentary from the dialogue as well, we're in this major, uh, call it, we all know, dramatic times, times that seem to be bringing up the shadow, bringing up these hidden energies that have been collectively running us and our personal in our it's not about necessarily personal enlightenment it's about us getting our realization more in tune with this expanded view and out of necessity that has to bring up everything you can't leave anything behind which i don't know about you ladies but it's been very evident to me, this world we're in, in the mirror of my relationships now, that things that you could slip under the rug are no longer slippable. slippable. <laughs> you know, the time is up, as they say. Yeah, I think that yeah. idea of bringing the big picture back in is is important. And when you think about the, the traditional uh, koan transmissions, the student was involved in very intensive meditations every day. And those can, they can, as we all know, be very introspective and, and centered around self and parts of self. And so this idea of the, of bringing the big picture to one's meditation is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, she, uh, one of the things I agree with you that originally it all started in meditation and then uh, somewhere during meditation time, they would go to the room where the Roshi would be and they would sit and look at each other and do, I've done them and you do your bows first and then you sit on your cushion, you're very quiet. And uh, usually the Roshi or the whoever the master at that point is waits until you speak and you you ask a question like uh, maybe like, well what 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 is compassion and and I'm having trouble with compassion and can you go into compassion a little bit more and then uh, in the koan world that is never a question directly answered neither does the the Roshi psychologize at, at that point and say, okay, tell me more. Why can't you do compassion? No, the Roshi will give the student another koan to contemplate on or a koan in response for the student to contemplate on. And I agree that the idea is expansion, but not necessarily, you know, she make, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. She makes a strong point that it isn't just about enlightenment. It's also about endarkment. And, and before we got started, uh, Johanna and I briefly talked and she said, well, there's one where you fall into the well. And 
you know, so maybe she'll say, well, fall into the well. And you're going, oh, my God, I don't want to fall into the well. I'm asking about compassion and, and love. Why do I have to fall into the well? Because that's certainly the darkest of darkest, deadliest places. But I think what, where, where she's headed for us is the idea that we go deeper and that we, we don't just quickly give an answer to, to a koan or, or even a, a piece of poetry. Um, Terry Tempest Williams uh, wrote, give me one wild word to follow. Give me one wild word to follow. Well, you can quickly come up with a wild word, maybe dragons, you know, but maybe maybe you need to reflect with that question a little bit more and go deeper to find out what what is that wild world word in me right now? What what word fits? Dragon maybe not because it makes me think think of dungeons, but maybe maybe a spider in a web could be my wild word at that's kind of fits for the moment, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, but I, I think she really invites us to sit with the koan, sit with it. And, and, and she said, even you can bring it into your sleep, you know, ask before you go to bed, you know, what, what is this koan telling me? And what the koan will tell me is going to be different from what it's going to tell you. But hopefully the idea is that you sit with it long enough where all of a sudden there is some kind of connection, some kind of, ah, yeah, okay, I I understand that at this moment. Mm -hmm. And this is the the genius of the Zen master, Mm -hmm. that they know. It's not like they have, oh, let's see, I'll give them koan number 59 today. You know, no, they know which one is needed Correct. by the mm-hmm. student. And they probably even know how the student's going to interpret the koan. Right. And the other thing that's brought up, too, <clears throat> which I wasn't aware of, is the, the koan, koans originated a lot from these uh, stories that were told in, in these times. And they were transmitted down well, they realized as I was telling or someone was telling the story of their awakening to someone else, when that was shared with other parties, the awakening was happening to these people as well. Again, what is awakening? But it, it is that I would define it now. Well, it is that breakthrough into this awareness of our as the endarkment. Endarkment is the pointed to as the unknown, you know, the unknowable, the, 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 the place of the deepest surrender and that sense of what we're probably more unconsciously afraid of you know, is, is really not knowing, you know, giving up our point of view, you know, giving up our position that we're seeing reality from. And Personally, I can I can attest to that because it seems to be a lot of the mirroring I'm getting in my world these days, where things will come up. I'll I'll, I'll see, you know, my particular perspective, or I'll feel 
uh, call it betrayed or taken advantage of in some things. I'm dealing with some family issues. And, you know, the, the awakening uh, perspective, the call to be in surrendered to that mystery, you know, to letting go, to, to let our strong position about how we see things dissolve. And I find that is very tricky because of the nature of our, of our mind. So that's where I, you know, I was tying that into this Cohen practice, which I've not done formally, but it's very intriguing. Certainly that book is worth a read, you know, of, of using any tools these days that will work for us to call stabilize that sense of the mystery where we're willing to state what we think is true and know how fleeting it is. There's no real substance to it. I mean, it's, it, it's easy to say these things, but actually when you feel our energies are all invested in something, you know, and that's the time where the suffering starts. That's where it really gets tight. And the, the freedom of that shift is, I feel, incremental, even if it's not a big wow, it's an incremental, call it gnosis or almost shift in cellular being, you know, cellular body into that mysterious, you know, of a, how, how much can we live from the unknown? Well, this is a description of the yin yang, I think, what you're yeah, what what you're giving. And that's why that that's such a cool word and darkenment, because you know, it reminds you that um that enlightenment includes and darkenment too. Yeah. And so unless you understand the yin and the yang of it, uh you ain't gonna get it, right? Yeah, right. Um, so you know. Also in in scientific theory, which sometimes on the show we talk about uh, the new science and and new new scientific paradigms, um, a theory isn't considered um, developed until you've proven the conditions under which it's not true. Your hypothesis, you have to go so far into investigating your hypothesis that you even have to find where it's not going to work. And that's exactly, I think, what what we're talking about. We're talking about the 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 is and the isn't at the same time. Um, and and before Magdalena referenced uh, the koan that everyone has probably heard, if what what is the sound of one hand clapping? But we have one in the West that that is similar. If a tree falls in the forest. And no one's around to hear it. Does it still make a sound? You know? <laughs> right, right. So this tradition is, I think it's a tradition almost that belongs to the collective unconscious of humanity that's been expressed in different ways in different cultures. I also think that the, uh, when I was reading the book, the koan book called uh, Through Forest of Every Color. I keep stumbling on the title. Uh, but um, all of a sudden, I found myself really paying attention to, like she was talking about the cuckoo bird singing you home. 
And then we've had a flock of doves in our tree and, and they're making all kinds of noises all day long. And I wasn't noticing what I was noticing that they were pooping everywhere and making horrible rusty black spots because they've been eating berries. And that was where my focus was. I wasn't focused on how beautiful it is that, that the whole flock of doves have decided to, to make our tree home because everyone around us has been cutting trees. They need a home. And how blessed we are to have them in our tree making all these noises and do their daily business. Like I'm sitting here and I'm listening to the trickle of water and most of the time I don't hear it. But this trickle of water that's coming from the roof was an hour ago, uh, 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 a squall that came through with a rainbow. And I've already forgotten that there was a rainbow and a squall. And I'm kind of surprised they're still dripping out there. And so I correct myself. Oh, it's all connected. We just had a squall. We had a beautiful rainbow. And now we've got the drip, drip. And it, too, has music. It, too, has sound. Mm. and movement and probably and texture it has everything mm -hmm. and that was the composer's uh composer john cage that was his approach he utilized sounds that were in the environment and he had a famous piece called four minutes and 33 seconds and in that piece it which is still performed today the, it's usually done by a pianist and the pianist walks out to the piano, sits down, down at the piano and doesn't play for four minutes and four and 33 seconds. That's the piece yeah. not playing. Right. And, and uh, what's the point? The audience is supposed to listen mm -hmm. to what's happening. Mm -hmm. So and the piece is uncomfortable. <laughs> well, and it can be, I mean, by this time, you know, people, are are familiar with the purpose of that work um right. you know what you have to be aware of your environment and what are the sounds all around you and he was uh famous for his inclusion of environmental sounds you know like the birds that we're hearing from your your yard magdalena would put that into his that would be part of the piece Sure. You know, well, there, here's a koan that she talks about. And actually, I think maybe part of her title comes from that. A tree older than the forest it stands in. A tree older than the forest it stands in. Now, contemplate on that for a moment. And first you kind of know, how's that possible? But then you realize it is possible because all the other trees probably got cut and grew up later. But then do we notice that because it's a forest? You know, can, can, can we see the oldest tree in the forest or the youngest tree in the forest? Can we see that? Can, can we bring that into our heart mind? She talks a lot about heart mind, which I really like. And because... It gets you away from that thinking, like how how does it feel in my heart that there is a tree older than the forest it stands in? You know, it, it, there, there's an incredible beauty in that statement. One thing that resonated with me is I, I, I'm speaking of that video, you know, that that I could have a relationship with, which which 
can't recite the cone because I don't remember it exactly, but it was you know, the, the cone, the bigger view that we get through the aware, expanded awareness and then translating that into matter, you know, making that how you live your life. And what I felt in essence, what it was pointing to, and she commented on this is, you know, it's impossible to make any decision that you think is right. Because within the realm of our spectrum that we operate on, we're conditioned in a certain way to see things and we make it of, of a vast amount of things that come bring us to this point of apparently choosing. It's very hard to know, well, is this the right decision, the wrong decision? That's from the dualistic mind. And it's almost as if these co this practice at the cone and, and you know the other i would say most practices it's particularly that are pointing to this endarkenment which is to be able to make the most beautiful mistake possible and that's the best we can do but but the the surrender to that you know maybe that's part of what she was part of that cone of falling into the well being able to hold that because our, our anxiety with the mind and us becoming and trying to get somewhere is has that underlying tension and anxiety about doing it right, or it has to be this way, you know, rather than the, you know, what we're, what we're seeking, I think, in this so-called enlightenment game is the freedom, the essence that what these traditions point to, that it's already here. You know, it's already, we already are free. If we can just see it now, we can, and, but to see it now, it's, it's again, we can see our addiction to seeking, becoming, getting it, doing it right, protecting all this. Well, I'll, I'll be awake when I finally get it right, you know, or you know, rather than, no, just free, your, free yourself and see it right now. She made a, a quote from, I think this was in the video from Samuel Beckett. Just learn, we're just learning to fail better because the way of it is this constant stepping off the cliff, being able to say, okay, I really don't know. I don't know how you ladies are feeling, but I'm so getting, I know so, I know nothing. Know more and more, and as as we know, when that incrementally is seen, it's uh, the freedom of that. And it's also there's so much resistance to living that way. I I think we're because we're beings who are trapped in time. We're trapped in the unfolding of time, right? And that's how that's kind of the track that we're on, right? And that creates a situation where we can only learn things and gain understandings if we're continuing to move forward in time. And so that's why you have to make a decision, even though you're not sure if you're making the right decision. Because until you make the decision and then proceed forward from that decision, you, you won't even know if it's the right decision or not. 
Only the unfolding in time will tell you that. Yeah. And that won't even tell us because I, I, you know, I think that we're not capable. I mean, in talking about the vastness, we're not capable of knowing that how all these, the totality of it all, the vastness of it all, we see it on a certain bandwidth. You're right in time, but there's also want to bring in, there's, there's us in time. Again, this is the yin yang. There's us in time, the body mind mechanism that functions in time where it feels as if our consciousness is in the body. And then there's also the timeless aspect of us. That is the body is in that. (laughs) So there is this kind of fitting together. And I, you brought up the yin-yang symbol, Sue, and I, that seems to be so representative of, of the, call it paradox that we live. And our tendencies are, of course, to, particularly in Western society, is to become, to get somewhere, to all of that. I mean, I think we're so predisposed to that side of things that to practice letting go, which is part of, I think, this cone practice and and the practice, the enlightenment practices. And again, what is enlightenment? So here's another koan on that one. Today, I'm getting my instructions. I'm getting them from something holy, a tall thing in a nest, in a clearing. And that's uh, contributed to Jory, Jory Graham. No, it says Jorge Graham. So she takes a lot of pieces out of poetry to to have us look at them and where we're getting our instructions from if we're talking about mistakes you know do we get them from something holy or did we get it from a nest in a clearing or or do we get instructions Mm -hmm. because uh, or do we make up our instructions Mm -hmm. and then we like uh, you said sue Yeah, and then we have to move forward. It's always we have to move forward. And then in hindsight, oh, I took the wrong fork. (laughs) The one that was lying in the road, I picked it up and I went to the left. (laughs) I should have gone to the right. You know, I think the biggest part of it, we all make mistakes. It's obvious. If if we look back at our life, we, we can easily point to, well, I wished I hadn't done that. And who would I be if I didn't? Well, I think the biggest problem is that we get hung up on having made a mistake. Our mistakes are part of the expansion of ourselves. We wouldn't expand if we didn't make mistakes. We also expand from good choices. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, except for when it comes to abuse or violence, I have to say that I think most mistakes have moved us into a direction closer to who we are, or at least that's what we hope we're doing. And I, w- I would say that's probably true. An- another of Yogi Berra's <laughs> koans is, we lost the game because we made too many wrong mistakes. <laughs> but when you think about it, I love yeah, it. because you could yeah. have a mistake or a wrong mistake. Yeah. There- Actually, because a mistake, you know, that's there's so many platitudes about making mistakes that that we we have to make mistakes in order to grow and to move forward and to learn what we want to leave behind. 
Yeah. And to and to be humble, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. I think it's also important for us to acknowledge I made that mistake. And, I, you know, I don't need to do that again. Right. And, and we don't have to cover it up. We don't have to hide it. We don't have to make it a secret. And as you both said, it is a mistake and it's not a mistake at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it's holding that. You know, this this enlightenment game is like it's very much about holding paradox. You yeah, know, I, both... I keep feeling two hands are are to somehow they're not like that. And they're not like that, but they're they're there. And all that energy in between, it actually does something like moving back and forth. But yeah, that keeping the 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 energy connected to the enlightenment and the endarkment at the right. same time. That right. for me is the big challenge of spirituality. Yeah. Kind of like a flipping of the mind, like in an optical illusion, right? Yeah, totally. It's it's the sense of holding both. It's like we're becoming that's part of the enlight enlightened enlightened to be it's becoming, becoming. And that's the kind of sense of moving forward. You just keep going the the courage and the fortitude to hand you know to be with this tremendous suffering that this life the illusion the dream can show us and yeah. and, and to hold this and to the simultaneity of feeling it and you know having that sympathy for it and at the same time the sense of it's just a dream i'm a dream in this dream and yet the realness of it, the suffering. And lately I've been, I don't know who I, I might have picked this up from Mirabai Star. Do you guys know Mirabai Star? Yeah. There's this word that keeps coming to me these days, and it's called holy suffering. And I think that part of when I feel that word in darkment, and it's this the we we've said it several times in this hour, and I'm going to repeat it, you know, the way. It's, it's like using these times, using the tremendous intensity of what we're living through, because it is in our so-called personal life. It's all in one sense. To be awake is to, to know that you are everything. You you are everything. You're, yes, you're, you're identifying as a separate little person and all of that. That seems to be the appearance of it. But as we dig into it with new science and quantum understanding and from the enlightenment traditions of inquiry and cones, we see it is not what it appears, but it is so strong in illusion. And I think that's part of the game. It's set up that way. But the, the who set it up? Well, that that's, you know, there's only <laughs> and my retort to that is there's only one of us here. I mean, I, 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 I got, I got <laughs> it's only one of us here. Speaking of which, I'm going to give a little anecdote. I won't name names because I don't have any permission. I'm just going for this, but it's someone we all know. Um, got an email today and, you know, it's from a friend and, and she stated, I woke up today and myself disappeared, which has happened to this character a couple of times. She goes, it's, it, it's gone. It dissolved into the absolute, like it just of uh, spaciousness and freedom around that. Anyway, it was just it was just kind of an interesting thing that came before this little talk. But that 
you know, that window opens up, you know, that, you know, we, they also, um, uh, Joan and her, the woman who was interviewing her pointed to, you know, the psychedelic re uh, renaissance that's happening now too. And the use of psychedelics to really open us up to that really broad view where even though it doesn't lie, I mean, most of these break opens, I'm sure you've, at least it's been the case that over here, they don't last. I mean, we wish, oh my God, can I just stay in this for like ever? But no, you know, the, the structures come back, the sense of self, you know, the possibly more unconscious programs are able to come up because of the expansion. There's a sense of it all working together. Not like, oh, you have to pay for this and suffer, suffer, suffer. But the suffering is what I'm beginning more to see it. It's, it's like opening up the Pandora's box that's been there. And we haven't, it wasn't time to open it because we energetically could not hold it. The endarkenment or the dark holds the key to the light. And the light holds the key to the dark. And I'm, go. and I, this is a, kind of a new shift in this character, mm -hmm. you know, in the last couple of years, but we all know, and in, in, if we're serious about our longing to, to be what we are, if we're real serious, we, the three of us know it's, it's a commitment, right? Ladies, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, you got, you got it. And this is what John was pointing to over and over and over. You you got to really live this. Yeah, yeah, have a great psychedelic breakthrough. Fantastic. But are there structures in place to be able to integrate that kind of breakthrough? And how are you using that in your life? You know, how is this informing us to, you know, keep moving forward? Yeah. Keep moving forward, particularly in these times which can be full of despair. Yeah. And, what, and what I've noticed in my own psychedelic journeys is that uh, I can retain the the mind, like the intellectual part of things that happened in the journey, but I can't, um, and I can recall those and maybe use them in my life in certain ways. But what I can't always recall on demand is the feeling that we get in during journeys. That's what's hard to grab. It's like, oh, I wish I could feel that, you know, yeah. when I was soaring with the eagle, yeah. you know, I want that feeling again, but we can't get it on demand usually. Or any of the, I mean, that's why the, the waiting at the, the gate, you know, I mean, she, you know, the gate is always symbolic and enlightenment. You know, you go through the gateless gate, you know, the, the moving, you know, it's like, you know, when the, when the veil drops and you go, oh my God, I've always been here. I've always been this. And it's so obscured and it gets obscured again. And it's, this is fascinating. I mean, maybe we can delve into this yeah. more on the podcast because my sense is that there's more and more of us who are, having and really waking up, whether it's through psychedelics, whether it's through meditation practice or just grace, you know, some uh, with the intensity, I'm feeling the portals are opening up more than ever so that what we're able to do, it's like the accelerate, you know, we're on an accelerated course in a way right now, you know, and so are we ready for the ride? Are we ready? 
are we preparing? And I think that's what we want to do here at Cracking is to be able to have conversations about how, how, how we live this because it ain't easy, babe. You know, it's not, I mean, I, I'm sorry. We don't lose ourselves on a regular basis. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, I, I'm beginning to think the more you like break through, the more deeper you have to go. And, you know, that was Sri Aurobindo's theory, who was a great Indian master who died in the 1950s, right. that the further you got into the supramental level, he said, the, the more you were going to have to deal with. You know, and and that, that, that applies on every level. Yes. 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 Every level of life that applies. Yes. Right. Very true. Yeah. Well, when, when you were telling about your friend or our friend who said she lost, I lost myself or I couldn't find myself just as, as that was happening. Wait, I got a week for this. Oh, this thing fell, went open. Like I lost myself and then it came back down again. <laughs> well, myself is back again. I immediately <laughs> reacted to that. It was very funny. And, <laughs> and, and um, I do want to go back a moment about we know that the koan tradition basically came through uh, meditation retreats and vigorous uh, discipline of sitting and quieting yeah. the mind, etc. But I think we we it's not limited to that. And Joan points that out that you don't have to sit on the cushion all day long to contemplate on a koa, <laughs> you know, and, and, and enlightenment or those moments where you lose yourself or those moments where you feel you set in grace, in full grace. Mm. Yeah. They're to they are so luminous. They feel so open in body and you can, I can, sometimes it happens to me just sitting in my chair reading and all of a sudden that overwhelming joy and appreciation and gratitude comes up. And I didn't I don't necessarily sit to practice for it. So and um, but but I do love about koans is that it really it, it pushes us a bit to mm. look a little bit further. And I'm I'm gonna read you another uh, koan. It helps you cross the river when the bridge is broken. It's your companion as you return to the village on a moonless night. Now, that's a really complicated one. It helps you cross the river when the bridge is broken. Okay. Well, that sounds pretty terrible when you encounter the bridge is broken. You're not going anywhere. It's your companion as you return to the village on a moonless night. So how how is it our companion? It is our experience. It's our our reaction or whatever that we're going to take back as we walk back for, um, in whatever reason. Oh, maybe I wasn't supposed to go anywhere. I wasn't supposed to cross the river. And it's I'm happy to be back in my village, mm -hmm. you know, on a, on a moonless night. Mm -hmm. There's so many ways to interpret it. Or, or maybe I'm walking back vexed and going, oh, I have my heart set on this and now I'm broken hearted and, and look, there's not even a moon here to enjoy and go in the endarkament. Or, or that uh, the way you thought you were going to get somewhere isn't going to work and you've got to find another way to get there. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. The, the emphasis, again, is off the position. The position 
arises in the moment and our freedom is to let it go in the moment. But that's very difficult to do because of the the energy of preference and then resistance if it doesn't if things don't happen the way we feel they should happen which i'm feeling they they don't a lot of the time you know we, we don't like to let go of things that we think belong to us right yeah or yeah. that we have decided that in the way it is right right <laughs> or yes. our particular truth at that moment <laughs> right but we will maybe start to close things off today with looking at that you know because that I think we all deal with that all the time, our resistance to what is, you know, and, and that's a, that's a big thing too, like resisting, you know, we have opinions about the world, what should be happening, what's going on about in our personal life in the mirror of relationship, people who aren't doing what they are treating us the way we think we should be treated. And again, it's not about allowing abuse or allowing whatever, but it is that fine dance again of, can I let go of my need to have certain things be a certain way for me to be free? Because that is that, okay, it's a recipe for suffering. You know, we, get, we have to keep seeing it over and over. And even the slightest little shift is, is a sense of moving forward with that. But, the, yeah. but there's, at the same time, there's nothing wrong with having preferences. No, you know, like I prefer to live this way and not that other way. Yeah. And so I so that forces me to create the conditions around myself that allow that to happen. Of course. I mean, we're going to have preferences. We're going to have opinions. I mean, it's ridiculous to think we're not. However, it's not about having those things. It's about how they're operating, how we're operating with them, because and, and they are our teachers, too. All of these things, all of these positions that arise these days, I've gotten a heavy dose. No, and I can really say I'm grateful. It's like I can feel here on crack whatever little supports or or tricks or hacks we have, cones or you know psychedelic long term time meditation, whatever. Just saying, hey, this is what's. This is working to shift me on this, or I need some support, or I, I'm like, I'm at the end of my tether. <laughs> you know, I've been seeing now when I just feel I'm at the end of my tether, that's when the, it's kind of like falling in the well. Then it's like you fall in the well and it's, it's like, oh my God, that liberation factor. Because liberation's real. It's very palpable. You know, it's not a thing that you can quantify. But it's energy. Well, could you, is there anything? I think it's uh, our time to close off. It's uh, I've so enjoyed this conversation, and I, it, can it, get, I, I could read one more. Please, please, colon, which I think is appropriate to our conversation. And then Magdalena, could you please also repeat the book again? This is this is from Joan Sutherland's book. Through, <clears throat> sorry. Through Forests of Every Color, Awakening with Koans. It's a new book. Through Forests of Every Color, Awareness with Koans. So this one is about koan meditation, as we were just talking about. A student asked Zhao Zhao, what is meditation? It's not meditation, said Zhao Zhao. Why isn't it meditation? It's alive. 
It's alive. Do you want me to do it one more yes, time? One more time. Okay. A student asks Zhao Zhao, what is meditation? It's not meditation, Zhao said Zhao Zhao. Why isn't it meditation? It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's, it's alive. alive. It's like he says, not meditation. It's alive. It's like I, I hear him say, it's like being alive. It's not like you're you're off in another state. It's alive. It's alive. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So it's bringing the light, the dark, the inside, the outside, all together. Yeah. Thank you. Nice. Nothing. Nothing gets left behind, as Joan put it. <laughs> All right. Well, this was great. Please uh, check out our website, crackingtherealitycode.com. Yes. And uh, we're glad you were here today. And thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us today. Our website is crackingtherealitycode.com, where you can sign up to know about our newest podcasts and read our curated info on consciousness, ancient wisdom, healing, plant medicine, and the new science. Until next time, keep cracking the reality code.